But uh, what I think I'll do is two of these are shorter, and I'll need some more time to finish the question from last month. And I think the fourth one is longer, and I probably will just save that for a future open study. So why don't we pray, and then um, what I think I'll do is I'll tackle the two short ones first, because uh, that will save me time so that I don't run over with the one long one that I need to finish, and uh, I would uh, end up not getting to the other two. So let's pray. Father, I do want to thank you for your word and the, the truth that your word is for us, uh, a lamp onto our feet and a light onto our pathway. I want to thank you, Lord, that it's in the revealing and the unfolding of your words that you give light and understanding to our hearts and to our perspectives, and you lead us into a deeper and more mature relationship with the truth. And I pray that our study tonight would contribute to your purpose to accomplish that in each one of our lives and the lives of any that may listen to this on Sermon Audio later. Amen. All right, so we're going to tackle these two shorter ones. And uh, these are actually related in one way, as you'll see. They're different questions, um, but they were interesting to me, and I, I, I wanted to squeeze these in tonight, especially since one of these has to do with a, uh, a present issue. The first one was this. Uh, a person called me and said that uh, they had been listening to a, a television preacher, and uh, this person was talking about a current event that's happening around us right now and tying it into Bible prophecy in a particular way, and they were just curious what I thought about that. Uh, this preacher was tying in the uh, situation with the swine flu that's developing. You guys are aware of this swine flu situation? They're, uh, it's, I guess it's right now, technically speaking, an epidemic and could potentially develop into what is called a pandemic. And I think we all understand the difference. An epidemic is a serious problem uh, of a disease outbreak in a particular area, and a pandemic is when it gets out of control, so to speak, and it just uh, it affects a large or wide uh, extent of the population and geographic areas. Anyway, the um, the connection this particular preacher was, and, and it doesn't really matter who it was. I'm not going to identify the preacher, but. Um, the connection they were making was within, with a particular passage of Scripture. So why don't you turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. And I'll read the passage they were connecting it to, and I'll just address whether that's a valid connection or not, briefly. I'm not going to turn this into an in-depth study on the book of Revelation, but we have studied enough. It's been a while. But we've studied enough of Bible prophecy together to, uh, for me to be able to lean on the fact that you have at least a, a, a fundamental framework of understanding of where I'm coming from and how I interpret Bible prophecy. All right, so Revelation chapter 6, very interesting section. This is um, what is identified in my translation by the heading as the, the seven seals. Um, this actually is connected to um, a passage in chapter 5, and just for the background, let's read the, the chapter 5 um, section, the small section, and then we'll read the, the verses that this preacher was applying this to in chapter 6. Starting in chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. And we read on from there to discover that there was no one found in either in heaven or on earth who was worthy or able to open the seals, to break the seals and to open the scroll until the Lamb of God was revealed. And then down in verse 9, uh, those that are around the throne of God sing, are singing a song of praise and worship to the Lamb, in which they sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Now, with that background, of we're dealing with this scroll, and we're dealing with a scroll which has, in a sense, seven seals on it, and the scroll is kind of like this. This is not a, a great uh, illustration, but 
you understand what a scroll is. It's a, it's a piece, what in those days was a, a piece of leather that was rolled up with writing on that leather. And then if this is the, the end where you would start to unroll it, there were seals, wax seals that were established on that. Three, four, five, six, seven, there are seven seals. Okay? And we're not told in that passage, and, I'm, and it's not the point of, of this particular question of what is this scroll all about and what is exactly the nature of the seals. Let's just read, though, on into chapter 6, what happens when the Lamb begins to uh, open the, break these seals and open the, uh, open the scroll, starting in verse 1. Now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. So what he does here is he breaks the first seal on the scroll. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow. And a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, breaking the second seal on the, on the scroll, I heard the second living creature say, Come. These living creatures, remember, are the four living creatures that are flying around the throne of God day and night proclaiming the holiness of God. So when the lamb breaks the second seal on the scroll, he, the, uh, John, who's there as the observer, hears the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. So first seal broken, a white horse is released. Conquering into conquer. Second seal broken, red horse. And the red horse, it says, his rider, its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, meaning war, so that people should slay one another. He was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. The black horse, when the third seal is broken, is a horse that produces famine in the land. And then you can anticipate where we're heading here, which is the fourth seal is going to be broken and there's a fourth horse. We'll read, I'll just write it since I'm already at the board. A pale horse is released at the breaking of the fourth seal. Let's read that. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider, rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, and with pestilence by wild beasts of the earth. Now the other seals have these, these four. The one common theme that we can derive from these four is they are four judgments that are released on the earth as portrayed by the imagery of four differing colored horses that are released at the breaking of each one of the first four seals. The other three seals are also judgments, but they're, they're represented by something different than four horses. These four horses being released are the famed, and I say famed in church history and the, and the remembrance of, of Revelation prophecy as the four horsemen, thank you, of the apocalypse. Okay. Now, this TV preacher was finding a prophetic fulfillment in the current event of the swine flu epidemic, possible pandemic. Where do you think he found that fulfillment? He found it in the fourth horseman. I'll read that again. I looked and behold a pale horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, famine, and pestilence. 
pestilence isn't exactly disease, but pestilence can cause disease. Pestilence is, for instance, like a, you know, a plague of, of, of uh, mosquitoes, for instance, that bite people and, and uh, convey disease through the bite, through the mosquito bite. Okay, that would be an example of a pestilence which causes a plague or a disease in the earth. So uh, this TV preacher was looking at this scenario in the news, and he was, um, he was offering for his audience his consideration. Uh, it's possible that what we see in the swine flu epidemic, soon to be possibly pandemic, is the fulfillment of the pale horse, the fourth seal, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, one aspect of that being pestilence. All right, what do you think about that interpretation that he was making? Interesting, huh? You're not ready for that? <laughs> not ready for that. That's a, that's, a, that's a good answer. Not ready for that. Well, here's the thing is, if it's the truth, it's coming whether you're ready or not. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> I know, I'm just saying, if this is what the Lord is doing, this is the Lord's activity. If it's what the Lord's doing, there's no way you and I can stop it, whether we're ready or not, here it comes. But the good news is, no, I'm sorry, the swine flu that is, you know, uh, of concern and out there in our, you know, world today has zero to do with the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the fourth seal, Revelation chapter 6, and the pale horse. Well, what is the pale horse? Well, I think we should all know that it has to do with Clint Eastwood, right? You ever seen that movie, The Pale Rider? Okay, then. No, I'm, I'm joking, of course. Uh, it's not a Clint Eastwood scenario either. Um, I believe, I'm convinced from my studies, and this isn't an idea I came up with. Uh, you know, I, I just, I'm in agreement with the vast majority of good, solid Bible prophecy teachers, not in our current generation, but throughout church history, that these four seals that were broken, the four judgments poured out through the imagery of four horses and four riders, uh, each, each pouring out a successively greater expression of God's judgment in a particular area, in a particular circumstance in the earth, that these four seals were broken and the judgments were poured out in the years 66 to 70 AD, and that the people that were the target of these judgments did already experience them, they have been fulfilled, and they were poured out upon the city of Jerusalem, leading to, at the end, the destruction of the city, the destruction of the temple, and the conquest, the final conquest of Israel in its rebellious state at that time. This was a, a, the, called the Jewish War against the Roman authorities as uh, Josephus described it in his history, and that uh, those events have been fulfilled, and that those specific events, the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse, will never again be fulfilled in history. Meaning, these are actual, real events that were prophetically described just prior to the events themselves happening, as most Bible prophecy, not all, but most Bible prophecy is addressing issues in the coming generation of time, and it certainly was in this case, I believe. And therefore, I have no concern that the current swine flu concern or, or issue has anything to do with the pestilence that the pale horse and its rider brought upon the earth. I believe that that was fulfilled. Now, does that mean, however, that I believe that God cannot and will not ever judge in history or that he would not use uh, something like a disease in history to pour out his judgment upon the earth. No, I, I, I certainly do believe that God does that and continues to do that. Um, I'm convinced of this biblical principle, and that is that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we read all the way through the Bible from 
Genesis to Revelation that God is a God of judgment. And God deals with human beings in history, and he deals with them not exclusively through judgment. We have many more you know, uh, things that are poured out from the throne of God in terms of his blessings and his goodness and his mercies. But he certainly does pour out, when needed, his judgment upon the earth. And while disease is not the exclusive expression of God's judgment in history, it's one of the primary ways that he does get people's attention. Now, however, if we were going to look for a modern expression, I say modern, sometime after Bible times expression of of such, a, of, of such a, a significant judgment, I would say we could choose much better ones than the swine flu to attach to that if we were going to try to find something in history to say, well, this is probably the pale horse. For instance, like, yeah, the Black Plague would be a good starting point. This happened in the 1300s, and you may have studied it in school, but let me just remind you of the extent and the degree of the Black Plague. The Black Plague killed some best estimates, 75 million people. The population of Europe was halved by the Black Plague. That means one out of every two people alive in Europe at that time died by the Black Plague. Now, you can try to convince me, you won't be successful, that God wasn't involved in that situation at all. He was just like, you know, absent on vacation and had nothing to do with anything God was doing in the earth. You know, if you look back at what was going on in society at that time, it was a horrible time. And the society was in darkness and in rebellion and had drifted far, far, far away from the Lord. And after the Black Plague, people seemed to be much more interested (laughs) and motivated spiritually than they were before the Black Plague. And sometimes it takes things to motivate people. Sometimes it takes serious stuff. Uh, In a more modern setting, uh, we had a 1918 outbreak of of the flu. This was at the end of World War I. And there was a huge flu pandemic. Best estimates, you can look it up. Best estimates, we don't know for sure. Between 50 and 100 million people died in 1918 from the flu. 50 and one, between 50 and 100 million people all over the world died of the flu at the end of World War I, and there were millions of people that died in World War I. So 1918 was a particularly deadly time to be alive. I mean, it was serious and it was significant. So if we were going to go looking in history for something to attach the the force seal to other than what it actually was conveying, the events of the the judgments upon Jerusalem leading up to the the conquest of Jerusalem and the fall of the temple in 70 AD, I'd I'd be much more inclined to attach it to one of those two events than the current swine flu thing. Now, we don't know where the swine flu thing currently is going to go, how far, what extent, how many people are going to be affected. But as of today, as of today, Deaths in the United States, one. Now, is that insignificant? No. Any child that dies is significant, and, and it's serious, you know. But every year there's some 75 or so, 75 to 100 children, and sometimes older uh, individuals as well, that die from just regular flu. That's just every single year, every single year when the flu comes around. So it may get to this extent. I'm not saying, I'm not predicting that the swine flu will not be so serious that it will be someday compared to the flu of 1918 or the the Black Plague of the 1300s. But in terms of what we're looking at right now, I think what we're dealing with here is a TV preacher that's just wanting to say something sensational in order to get people to respond to them, to buy CDs and, you know, buy books and those kind of things. All right, so I think we can uh, dismiss that, and I hope you're with me on that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Good question. Excellent question. The question was, just in case it didn't come across on the, uh, on the recording, is are, 
are events, what we would consider to be tragic or serious events in history, are they always judgment from God or, are they, or is there a situation that could be judgment from God? Not just disease like flu epidemics and things of that nature, but like we had, for instance, uh, not too long ago, we had a, a Hurricane Katrina, you know, and we talked about that as a church. I actually, uh, you know, did a couple of messages connected to that. We had an earthquake here in our area back in 19, what was it, 1994, 94 now? And uh, at that time, we talked about that. And um, in my opinion, Tim, and I'm just giving you my opinion, and I'm looking at this, I believe, from a biblical perspective. I don't believe God is absent from any of those what we would consider to be devastating events. I believe God is involved in all of those. And I would... Uh, connected to this concept. Uh, let me see if I can find this verse for you real quick. It's in uh, the book of Isaiah. And I believe it's chapter 45, but let me just double check and make sure I've got the right address. Yeah, so uh, Isaiah 45, verse 7. And I do believe this. And I believe it was the Lord speaking here. And he was speaking through the prophet Isaiah, but he was speaking a true principle, not just for the moment of time and the exact circumstance that Israel happened to be in at that moment, but I think this is a true principle that is meant to be applied to all such events in history. Okay? What he says through Isaiah here is, this is the Lord speaking, I, well, I'll just get the end of verse 6 so we be clear about the identification. The end of verse 6, I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So to answer your question in short form, yes, I believe the Lord is involved in all, of, all such things. So a hurricane devastates, a tornado devastates, um, a disease epidemic or pandemic devastates, uh, a famine in certain regions of the world devastates, a war devastates, I believe the Lord is involved in all of those circumstances in the category of what we consider to be judgment. And I believe in each case, what's going on there is those are what I would call um, powerful spiritual attention getters. You know, it's to, it's to wake people up to their need to return to the Lord and to cry out and to repent and to come into right relationship with the Lord. Yes, I believe that. Sure. Okay, and that's a good question. The question was, well, what about just an ordinary illness then, you know, that anyone would have, whether it's a believer or an unbeliever? Is the Lord involved in that? Well, the option, if the Lord's not involved in it, would be to create a separate category and say, these are things that happen in life in which the Lord has no involvement in whatsoever. That's the option. And, you know, what Jesus taught is that not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. So, oh, oh well, yes, I believe, I believe anything that is not an expression of what we would consider his blessing, you know, that anything that produces something like that, like an illness or, you know, like uh, let's say I, you know, I, I lose all of my finances or you know, I don't have enough food to eat or anything of that nature, not just sickness, because sickness is just one in a series that fits into a category. Yes, I would fit that into the judgment category. Okay. Yeah, I, I would absolutely say that, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. You know, and I can only recommend to you, you know, what I do in, in my own situation. Okay? Now, does that mean that in every situation, this specific thing is connected to a specific sin that you have previously committed? No. The Bible doesn't exactly make that point. But every single sickness is a downline result of sin. There's no question about that. No, I, no I, that's what I'm trying to draw a distinction between. So... Where did sickness originally come from? 
Yeah, and was there any sickness in the Garden of Eden before Adam sinned? So all sickness is a downline, downline result of sin. And when we say downline result, what we mean by that is God changing a situation because of man's sin, and he does so in order to get man's heart's attention, humans, the, the attention of human hearts that are disconnected from him or not in the, the repair that they should be, okay? And the question you're, I think what you're really after is, if I have a cold, should I, should I go to the Lord and ask him what's going on here, or should I just disregard the Lord in that situation? Not that you ask that second question, but I'm asking it for you. Me, if I get a cold, I don't care what it is. If I get any kind of thing that's going wrong in my life, my finances are out of whack, my, you know, uh, you know it could be any number of things. I've got an injury. Uh, I'm certainly going to go to the Lord and, and relate to the Lord in that situation. Now, I'm not saying that in every circumstance the Lord is going to point out and say, this specific thing happened because of this specific sin. Because there is one additional category, and how we blend these things together is really you know, where we need wisdom and discernment. And that is in the case of Job. Now, Job um, was identified by the Lord as a particularly righteous man and in right relationship with the Lord. And when the book of Job starts, we don't have anything to assign to his account as far as we, we can see or, or as far as the Lord even identifies that is a cause for any problems to happen in Job's life, right? And yet what happens in Job's life is he experiences severe circumstances, a series of them. He loses his, his uh, family, except for, you know, uh, his wife. He loses his children. He loses his lands, you know, his, I mean, his, uh, his herds and cattle, all of his finances, you know, go down the tubes. He loses his health. He's covered with boils. And in that circumstance, that's the exceptional circumstance, we're told that it wasn't because Job specifically deserved it or that it was in that case a judgment from the Lord. But we are given a special category of explanation that's attached to that, meaning that there's, there is a even deeper thing going on there, which is the Lord has designed that set of circumstances as a test for Job's heart and as something that he is intending to use in a redemptive way, not just for Job, but for the whole circle of people that are surrounding him. And he does absolutely accomplish that through his, his suffering of those events. Okay? So what I'm saying is, generally speaking, I do believe in this equation. Sickness is connected in some way to sin. Um, famine connected in some way to sin. Poverty, connected in some way to sin. When I experience those things, and I'm just putting three on the board, there's many more things than that that are bad in life that we would you know, prefer not to experience. I don't automatically assume that there's not a reason that I'm experiencing those things in terms of the Lord wanting to get my attention. So my starting point, me personally, my starting point, each time I experience something like this, is I want to go back to the Lord and find out where am I at with you, Lord? And if, having examined my heart before him and put it before him, if I get a sense of, of confidence that he doesn't draw anything to my attention and, and I, I ultimately conclude, okay, it's out of this box it's in, and it's into this box, like Job's situation, okay, then I make a, a perspective shift and I deal with it in a standpoint of faith and trust in the Lord, knowing that, okay, I didn't necessarily deserve for this to happen, but the Lord is at work. He's doing something using me and using my experience to test my heart and to create some greater redemptive benefit for the whole circle of people that are touched by my life situation. But I do start here. In other words, I, I'm experiencing these things. I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, is there something you're getting my attention about? Is there something I need to pay attention to? I don't know if that answers your question adequately. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Okay. So much for that first question. I was going to get back to that. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a short one. Yes, sure. So now, now, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but are you saying, is it ever possible 
that I could get sick and the Lord would have nothing to do with it whatsoever. <laughs> Why not? Because that's what it sounded like to my ear. <laughs> I don't want to put words in your mouth. Okay, and I'm fine with that. If we say it that way, which is it's possible to, ha- to get sick, for instance, that you're wanting to focus on sickness, it's possible to get sick just because we live in a fallen world. Sure, we can say that, but I'm not leaving the Lord out of that equation. And I hope you don't either. In other words, he's in charge of a fallen world as well as he was in charge of an unfallen world. I mean, he'd liter- how, to what degree is the Lord in charge? You know, the, the passage I quoted about there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from your father's will. I mean, isn't it natural for sparrows to die in a fallen world? Yes, it is. Nevertheless, what Jesus emphasized from that is not just the natural progression of things. He emphasized the father's deeper role beneath the natural progression in order to enlighten our hearts and our spirits to how much in charge God is, even of a fallen world and how he uses even those natural progression events in order to teach us and to speak to us. So I do believe God's involved in those things. Yeah, David? Which one? Which? Okay, they, yeah, they were natural, but they, they all had a, in a, in what I would call an immediate spiritual cause. These aren't things that just happened to Job. Remember in the story, um, there was a conversation in heaven that preceded anything that Job experienced. And the conversation was between the Lord and Satan. And the Lord actually, Satan sought permission to affect the circumstances of Job. And the Lord granted him permission. And as soon as that permission was granted, Satan left the presence of the Lord, became active in Job's circumstances which you can make a good, solid biblical case for and say the immediate cause was Satan. But the ultimate cause was the Lord. Because unless the Lord had granted permission to Satan, Satan would have had no freedom to do that. So the point I'm making is, yes, what Job experienced was natural in that he lost actual cattle, actual children, actual physical health, but nevertheless, there was, a, there was spiritual cause to that. It didn't just happen to Job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Yes, and and in it, I, I agree with that. However, I will say it this way. Let me add one more factor to the to the consideration. Does everybody that fails to wash their hands get sick? Why not? Right. In other words, it's not the hand-washing or lack of hand-washing that causes the sickness, it's just a factor in why some people get sick from a natural perspective. But I agree with you, there's, we have to, as believers, we have to learn to look at more than just natural factors. I am not, please don't anyone leave here misunderstanding me, thinking that I'm saying that natural factors don't matter. Someone asked me earlier today about the flu situation and, you know, what they should do. And I said, if you're concerned about it, wash your hands and, and, you know, avoid excessive contact with anybody that looks like they might have the flu. Even though I believe that ultimately whether I get the flu or not is in the hands of the Lord. Nevertheless, at the same time, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking those natural steps. You know, and it, it is one thing a denial of my faith in the larger thing. I don't believe so. I also exercise. I also try to watch what I eat. I try to get enough sleep. I try to, you know, do other natural factors that contribute to an overall pattern of health. But I don't place my faith in those things thinking that if I do those things, I'll never get sick. Ultimately, whether I get sick or not is in the Lord's hands. And we see him, you know, giving promises to his children. We studied a little bit about this just this last Sunday 
in our study on Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals, where he said, if you'll be in, in an obedient and right relationship with me, I'll put none of, the sin, none of the sicknesses that I put on the Egyptians will I put on you as my people. None of them. You won't experience those things. But the condition was you have to be in right relationship with me, not you have to wash your hands more than the Egyptians did. So all I'm saying is, and really this is all I'm saying, let's look at these situations not as the world looks at them, because all they can see is the natural factors. Let's, let's be aware of the natural factors. Let's handle those with wisdom, but let's look at a layer deeper than that in terms of how the Lord describes those same circumstances in his role and part in that. Yes, Michael. And then I'll get to Maria. Or I'll go to Maria first. How's that? Because she asked first. Thanks. You're scaring me again. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. In You're talking about finances now, for yeah. instance. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, and it could just be that God is testing me. Well, I mean, if you're asking, you know, for instance, like the economy is going in the tank, all right, should we as Christians be um, fearful of that circumstance? No, no, that's not what I'm no? Because, okay. Yeah, Try again. Let's say the economy affected me financially. Mm-hmm. So, and I, 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 I did what, what you thought on Sunday, and I'm right. before the Lord, and I said, Lord, what, what's going on? Right. Am I, I'm not grumbling. I'm not. Right. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure that was in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right. No, that's good. So, so well, you were seeking the Lord as to, yeah. you know, what, so what's going on here. Am I wrong here somewhere? I'm asking that you told me. Mm-hmm. I want to know. Because, but I know that I'm not complaining because I used to complain. Right. And so I'm taking it that the Lord is saying, okay, this is the test. Well, you told me, mm. uh, you know, that maybe the Lord is telling me that. that right. Well, let me, let me say this. I can't necessarily comment on any one specific situation. Because there could be a number of factors spiritually that are involved in each situation. But as a general pattern, okay, now I'm not talking about your situation. I'm just talking about as a general pattern. If a believer was wealthy and now they're poor, is the Lord at all involved in that change in their circumstance? I believe that he is, yes, just like he was with Job. Just like he was with Job. The Lord is involved in that circumstance. Now, what is the Lord doing in that circumstance? I don't know. That's when that believer needs to go back to the Lord and seek the Lord and trust the Lord and obey the Lord. And if necessary, the Lord reveals some area of sin that's been, you know, indulged in and not repented for and not, you know, not walked away from, then that believer needs to pay attention to that. And there could be a direct connection in that particular case. Or it may be in this larger category of the Lord just having a deeper purpose of a test. And I don't know in any one situation until that believer seeks the Lord and finds out, you know, what is going on in this situation. And the harder part, of course, is that in Job's situation, this all happened to Job without any advance description from the Lord. It's not like the Lord sat Job down and said, okay, Job, let me tell you, I've had this long conversation with Satan in heaven, and we're going to run, we're going to be running a test. This is only a test of the emergency Job system. And, you know, for the next you know, for the next 90 days, it's going to look like your life is falling apart, but don't worry, just believe in me, and you're going to come through, and at the end, I'm going to give you back double, which is what happened in Job's case, I'm going to give you back double everything that you lost. The Lord doesn't give him all of that lead up to the test. He just wakes up one day and starts his day, and the news comes there's been this great wind that blew down the house where all your children were celebrating and it collapsed on them and killed them. And then the Sabaeans over here came and took away all your herds and cattle. And then this thing happened. And then, oh, by the way, you've got boils now all over your body. You know, he just, it just happened to him, okay? So what do you do in that circumstance? You know, what I think is the right thing to do is you go back to the Lord at that point, you know? 
and then you find you you take it from there one step at a time right yeah well that's a good that's a good healthy thing to start with you don't want all you won't always end with that conclusion but there may be times that the Lord will will actually use that circumstance to call your attention to something that you've been kind of you know compromising in and then that got your attention and now you're going to change that compromise or having examined your heart you may discover you know what i honestly believe not that i'm perfect but i honestly believe there's no hidden you know unrepented sin in my life and so i'm trusting you lord that this is a test and that i'm going to i'm going to trust you through the test wherever you take it whatever you want to do with that no right you're right doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt michael Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. The the one that died. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and I, I'd have to probably listen to the whole message because I don't want to address his comments in particular out of context, but just based upon what you're describing to me, I'm just personally particularly grateful that I don't live in a universe where stuff just happens. Mm-hmm. I did a message on that situation years ago when it happened, huh? To what? My message? Um, I don't think there was any response to it. I mean, I, I, I didn't send it to anybody, if that's what you're asking. You mean, did I send it to them? Uh-huh. No, I, I just did the message for our congregation. In other words, my goal in doing that message when, when that brother in the Lord, that pastor of a particularly large and influential church in the valley you know, came off of the preaching platform and collapsed with a, with a you know, brain aneurysm and, and died shortly thereafter. Uh, I did a message based upon what the Lord was speaking to my heart from that circumstance with the hope that it would also benefit the rest of our congregation. But no, I didn't send that to anyone in particular. No, I never did. I, I never heard his perspective on it, no. I was just sharing my own perspective in terms of what I felt from my own studies of God's word and what I felt like the Lord was speaking to my heart from hearing the news, I wanted to share the benefit with the congregation, our group, of you know, what, I, what I derived from that or what I gained from that. Okay, yes, Tim. See, now you started this trouble. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you've used your question for the next year. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. Hand it over. <laughs> Uh, oh, and by the way, Steve, I don't think we'll put this one on the uh, internet just because there's too much interaction. It's, I mean, it's been good for us, but it'd be hard to translate on in a recording. Yeah. 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 Well, it, it is and it isn't. It, or it is and it might not be. I'll say it that way. It is and it might not be. It is in the sense that it's certainly part of life in a fallen world, like we were talking about earlier. Death is an immediate result of Adam's sin. And when anyone dies, especially when we die young, there's an issue there of a connection to that overall concept. But does that mean that anyone that dies young, and even as a believer dies young, that there's an immediate sin that caused them to die young because God killed them young. Not necessarily. Jesus died young. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, he died very young. And it was, there was judgment involved, but it was not judgment for his own sin. Um, you know, there have been many, many, you know, great believers throughout. And I'm talking about greatest, however we consider and rate greatness throughout church history that have died young. Um, you know, they're, they're uh, I'm thinking of... Uh, 
who was the, um, the famous missionary to the American Indians. No, no, uh, although he's a great example. We were just talking about him last night. Um, thinking of the, um, in the 1700s under, I'm sorry, what? David Brainerd, thank you, David Brainerd. Um, he was in his 20s when he died. And basically, as far as we can tell, just literally worked himself to death in the service of the Lord. You know, I've you know, read his life story, and he just, he, just, he just worked himself to death and then died. And, you know, so do I look at that and say, well, you know, this was God's judgment for David Brainerd's sin. I don't necessarily believe that, no. I don't necessarily believe that. I believe that there's another purpose there. Jim Elliott died as a, as a martyr, you know, for the faith. You know, no question that wasn't a judgment for his sin. He was serving the Lord and was exposed to the persecution that led to his death. You know, yeah, exactly. There are, so there are deaths that, that happen among believers that happen in order to glorify God in a, what is at first glance for us, a mysterious purpose of the Lord. Meaning it's not immediate and obvious as to what the Lord is doing in bringing a believer's life to an end at a younger age. But I do know this, and I'll use the example that Mike was asking about earlier, the pastor that died at Church on the Way, and he was a fairly young man. He died younger than I am right now, okay? And when he died, it got my attention in a good way. I mean, it was like, wow, I mean, it impacted me because even though he was a pastor of a much larger and more influential church than we'll ever be, nevertheless, I knew him and I could relate at a certain level to him. And I'm thinking of, you know, I can't presume on a single day. You know, I don't know that I'll be here tomorrow. This man was preaching the true gospel, and he really was, the true gospel and serving the Lord. And he came off the stage and collapsed, you know, right after preaching, doing a good thing. You know, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought. But yeah, and, and, that's, and that's exactly right. But it served a beneficial purpose for me. And through then the influence in my life, at least through that one message, a beneficial purpose for this church, I'm no doubt that it served a beneficial purpose for Church on the Way. And then they were so influential through their four-square circle that I'm sure it reverberated all the way through the four-square movement. So, you know, there's a, there was a hidden purpose, but that one was easier for me to see. Sometimes believers die in a more quiet way, and, you know, we have to kind of search for the deeper purpose in it. But with saying all of that, is it possible that a believer dies young because they were in sin? Yes, that also happens. You know, and it's not for me, it's not for me to discern or decide in each case that only the Lord can identify which one fits into which category. And I, I certainly am not looking to go around and start, well, I'll put you in this category or I'll put you in that category. You know. Wow. Oh, I would. I would at least start there. At least start there. And it may be that, you know, what you'll discover is, no, there is nothing specific. And, you know, the Lord has a testing purpose for this long-term, you know, debilitating thing that you're going through. It may be that. I, I don't want to presume what he would say to you in that, but I would at least start there. I would. I would. If, I was, if it was happening to me, I would. Sure. Right. 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 Good. Well, I, I think that's always a good starting point for the conversation, you know, instead of just presuming it couldn't be me, you know. And, you know, sadly, I mean, most of us kind of just start out from that perspective with anything. It's, it couldn't be my fault. It's got to be something else going on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know but then again i on the other hand i don't want to say that it always is you either because it in job's case for instance and we're given that example for a reason it wasn't his fault yeah it is good to know mm-hmm 
Well, um, the, the sins of the fathers thing has to do with uh, the Lord is wanting his people to understand that there's a generational progression to both blessing and cursing, to both. So in other words, let's say um, I'm a faithful believer, not perfect, but you know, doing things the way I should be doing them. And the Lord gives me children, and I am going to, of course, want to raise those children in the, you know, in the instruction and admonition of the Lord, raise them in the right way, okay? And I'm going to pour in to them the blessings that I've received from the Lord. And what the Lord promises is that as they grow up, they'll be, they will start further ahead than where you started, doesn't mean that they'll automatically be further ahead than where you ended, but they will start further ahead spiritually than you started because you've given them, them the momentum of a right foundation. Okay? The same works in reverse when we're in disobedience and rebellion, whether as a believer or unbeliever, and now we're passing on to our children, to the next generation, the pattern of our disobedience and rebellion, the influence of that. And what that essentially means is they're going to start out further behind in life than they would had you not been living in disobedience and rebellion as the long-term pattern of your life. So we're, we're talking about the, the pattern of the Lord to build a, a generational progression of goodness and blessing when we're paying attention and doing it the right way and the inevitable consequence of the same principle when it's set in motion in reverse. Does that make sense? All right. So much for one simple quick question. <laughs> it was. If, if you had just let me talk, I was in and out for 10 minutes. <laughs> I had I even planned it. I said, okay, I've got a longer question. I'm going to hold myself to 10 minutes for this one, and I'm out of there. <laughs> I was almost there. I could, see the, I could see the finish line, right? And I was, I was straining for the finish line, and Tim pulled me back. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll end there tonight then, because uh, if I try another question, Tim's going to have us here for another hour. <laughs> All right, Steve.